0: Good morning, and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Yom Kippur, considered by many of the Jewish tradition, many in the Jewish community to be the holiest day of the year, is upon us. This morning, I want to chat with you about some of the aspects of this most powerful holiday. The holiday of Yom Kippur um, is known as the Day of Atonement. It is a day, literally 24 hours from sunset to sunset. In which Jews abstain from eating. In a previous podcast, I spoke about the nature of fasting on Yom Kippur and the nature of fasting on Jewish holy days. It is a day in which the majority of Jews in the world, whether they are religious in practice or not, find themselves in the synagogue on the eve of Yom Kippur, and that eve is called Kol Nidre. Kol Nidre is the preeminent prayer of the evening service. And later in our show, I want to devote some time to the Kol Nidre prayer and why it places itself in such a preeminent position on this most holy of days. But I want to begin this morning with some little-known facts about Yom Kippur to help you understand both its origins and its place within the Jewish world. So let me begin with this one. The word scapegoat originates in an ancient Yom Kippur ritual. Jews historically have been popular scapegoats, blamed for a wide range of ills, not of their creation. But they do deserve credit for the term scapegoat, even though they have usually not been appropriately blamed for that which um, they are charged with. In Leviticus 16.8, in the Torah portion, in the portion known as Ahare Mot, the high priest is instructed that on Yom Kippur, the 10th day of the seventh month, to lay his hands upon a goat while confessing the sins of the entire community and then to throw the animal off a cliff as a means of expiation for the entire Community's sins accumulated during the previous year. This is the origin of the term scapegoat. There is another animal sacrifice associated with Yom Kippur, and that is the swinging of a chicken around one's head, which is clearly not an ancient tradition. This tradition seems to date from the Middle Ages when Jews took the chicken and swung it around the head in order to transfer their sins to the chicken, and then uh, the chicken is slaughtered. This um, tradition was not universally approved, even in the 13th and 16th century. There were uh, individuals, well-known Jewish commentators, who objected to this tradition. In modern day, the objection has usually been about animal welfare. But there are still some Jews, mostly in the traditional community, that... um, On the second day of Rosh Hashanah, take the chicken, this is known as kapara, and transfer their sins to it. The third very unusual fact that you might be interested in, Yom Kippur was once a big day for matchmaking. The Talmud, that ancient Jewish legal code, states that both Yom Kippur and Tu Ba'av often described as the Jewish Valentine's Day, were the most joyous days of the year when women would wear white gowns and dance in the vineyards, chanting, Young men, lift up your eyes and see what you choose for yourself. Do not set your eyes on beauty, but set your eyes on a good family. The tradition does not exist anymore. Food and drink are not the only things Jews abstain from on Yom Kippur. Traditionally, Jews do not bathe during the year, during the day of Yom Kippur. They refrain from perfume or lotions. They refrain from wearing leather shoes, which in earlier times were seen as a matter of comfort. And so, they were to make themselves less comfortable on this day as they um, searched within their souls for expiation. Um, As I've already mentioned, um, this is a day of fasting. Traditionally, the meal eaten before the beginning of the fast is supposed to be large and festive. Following the... Again, the Talmudic dictum that it is a mitzvah commandment to eat on Erev the night before Yom Kippur, just as it is a mitzvah to fast on Yom Kippur itself. However, while it is very traditional for Jewish families to gather together on the eve of Yom Kippur and join in a festive meal, it does not help you keep going for 24 hours it is more traditional that you eat small amounts of carbohydrate and a small amount of protein rather than believe that you are consuming copious amounts of food in order to uh, help you sustain yourself through the fasting. In fact, the opposite is true. In the midst of the Battle of Britain... The relentless Nazi bombardment of London began in September of 1940. The synagogues went on with their Yom Kippur services as scheduled. On October 12, 1940, when... Nazis bombarded London, most synagogues carried on regardless of what was taking place, and large proportion of men attending services wore uniforms of the various armed forces of Her Majesty. One of the most interesting dynamics um, and customs of this holiday is, is that the Yom Kippur Kol Nidre service, the er, er, evening service, is the only night of the entire Jewish calendar when a prayer shawl is worn for evening services. It is a token of special reverence for the holy days. It is traditional to wear a tallit or white garment for the entire holiday with the color white symboling both our pure, spiritual purity and our removing ourselves from the vanities of the material world. Many people actually wear a white robe, which looks something like a linen bathrobe called a kittle. For those who are unfamiliar with the tradition of the talit, the prayer shawl emerges from the biblical commandment to have fringes on the four corners of your garment. Um, and in ancient days, in fact, the garment itself had these fringes. In modern days, um, people wear a shawl-like um, Vestment which has fringes tied upon them and some um, Jews wear them all the time underneath their shirts almost as an undershirt and some put them on only for prayer services. But traditionally, they're never worn in the evening because the Torah says that they should the fringes should have colors and that you should be able to discern between blue and green, which has been understood by the commentators to mean during the daytime. As blue and green are close on the spectrum and only light would help you distinguish them rather than dark. One of the um, American idiosyncratic um, historical events is that in 1958, a Virginia rabbi's pro-civil rights movement sermon on Yom Kippur riled up local segregationists and sparked fears of an anti-Semitic backlash. It turns out that Rabbi Emmett A. Frank of Alexandria's Temple Beth El was um condemned by Virginia's defenders of state sovereignty for his sermon criticizing the state's massive resistance to school desegregation, and said that it, it had intended to destroy Christian Jewish relations, he could not have been more effective. While a leading member of the Reformed Temple, Temple Emanuel in Alexandria, Virginia, reportedly said a considerable number of congregants worried that the rabbi's stand might result in increased anti-Semitism, others in the congregation sided with the rabbi, holding that he held a spiritual and moral duty to speak out for social justice. The congregation stood by the rabbi and the Washington Post published an editorial calling him a courageous clergyman. Well, those are a few of the less serious but interesting facts about Yom Kippur. And now I want to turn to the serious nature of the holiday. As I've indicated, the evening of Yom Kippur is called Kol Nidre. It is called Kol Nidre because of the prayer, which has the same name. And so let's talk about the Kol Nidre prayer and why it is so important to the Jewish people and why it has uh, become the nomenclature by which the evening of this special day is known. Kol Nidre is an Aramaic declaration recited in the synagogue before the evening service begins on every Yom Kippur. Strictly speaking, it is not a prayer, although commonly spoken or chanted as if it were. It is a dry legal formula. And its ceremonial accompaniment has been charged with emotional undertones since the medieval period, creating a dramatic introduction to Yom Kippur on what is often dubbed, as I have said, Erev Kol Nidre, Kol Nidre Night. It is written in Aramaic, not Hebrew. Its name is taken from the opening words, meaning... All vows, kol nidre. The formula of this declaration proactively annuls any personal or religious oaths or prohibitions made upon oneself to God for the next year, so as to preemptively avoid the sin of breaking vows made to God which cannot be or are not upheld. Kol Nidre has an eventful history, both in itself and on the legal status of the Jews. Introduced into the liturgy, despite the opposition of some rabbinical authorities, it was attacked in the course of time by some rabbis, and in the 19th century, expunged from the prayer book by many communities of Western Europe. Let's think for the moment about this declaration. Perhaps you can picture the moment. Before sunset, on the eve of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the congregation gathers in the synagogue. The Aron Kodesh, the Ark, is opened, and two people take from it two scrolls of the sacred books. Then they take their places, one on each side of the canter, and the three individuals, symbolizing a rabbinic court, recite by the authority of the court on high and by the authority of the court down here, by the permission of one who is everywhere, and by the permission of this congregation, we hold it is lawful to pray with sinners. This invitation to outcasts is not specifically for the evening, but for the whole of the Day of Atonement. It being obvious that when even sinners join in repenting, The occasion is worthy of divine clemency. This announcement was introduced by Rabbi Meir of Rothenburg in the late 13th century, the 1200s, and endorsed by the Mahario in the early 15th century. The cantor, the musical voice of liturgy in the congregation, then chants the passage, again beginning with the words, Kol Nidre. With its touching melodic phrases and varying intensity from pianissimo, quiet, to fortissimo, loud, he repeats it twice for a total of three iterations lest the latecomer not hear them. And these are the following words. All vows we are likely to make, all oaths and pledges we are likely to take between this Yom Kippur and the next Yom Kippur we publicly renounce. Let them all be relinquished and abandoned, null and void, neither firm nor established, let our vows, pledges, and oaths be considered neither vows nor pledges or oaths." This is how the melody begins. Kol nidrei, ve esare, Ushvue, <speaking in Hebrew> ve <speaking in Hebrew> <speaking in Hebrew> ul de shtaba na ud da kharim na ul da asarna al nef shtana mi Yom HaKippurim, The invitation is chanted. The leader and the congregation then say together three times, "May all the people of Israel be forgiven." including all the strangers who live in their midst. For all the people are at fault, quoting Numbers fifteen twenty six, The leader then says in the Aramaic, O oh, pardon the iniquities of this people, according to thy abundant mercy, just as thou forgave this people ever since they left Egypt. And then the leader and the congregation say together three times, I pardon them according to your words. The scrolls are then put back in the ark, and the traditional evening service begins. Of course, the vows and pledges being annulled by this ceremony are of limited category. As the art scroll mocks or High Holiday Prayer Book explains, There is a dangerous and erroneous misconception among some people that the Kol Nidre nullification of vows, whether past or future, gives people the right to break their word or to make insincere promises that will have no legal force. The Moxer says that is not the case. The Kol Nidre declaration, according to tradition, can only invalidate vows that one undertakes on his own volition. It has no effect on vows or oaths imposed by someone else, a court, or even a non-Jew. Also, the invalidation of future vows takes effect only if someone makes the vow without having in mind his previous Kol Nidre declaration. But if he makes the vow with Kol Nidre in mind, thus being openly insincere in his vow, the vow is in full force. A more modern... Individual editor, Philip Berenbaum, comments on the passage known as Kol Nidre. It refers to vows assumed by an individual for himself alone, where no other person or interests are involved. Though the context makes it perfectly obvious that no vows or obligations toward others are implied, there have been many who were misled into believing that by means of this formula, all their vows and oaths are annulled. Now, the origin of this prayer is unknown, and the date of composition is unknown, but we do know it was in existence at the Gaonic period, mainly in the 6th to 11th century of the Common Era. There was a common theory that it commenced during and because of a period of extreme persecution, in which Jews were forced at sword's point to convert either to Christianity or Islam, and that Kol Nidre was supposed to nullify that forced conversion. The readiness in which the vows were made, um, the facility with which they were annulled by the scribes, gave the Kararites an opportunity to attack rabbinic Jews. This may have encouraged the leaders of early medieval Babylonian Jewry to minimize the power of this oath's dispensation. So you can see, at one time, it was widely believed that the Kol Nidre was composed in the 15th century by Spanish Morano Jews who were forced to convert to Christianity, yet who secretly maintained their original faith. This idea has been shown to be incorrect, as the prayer predates this era by many centuries. However, we do know that this prayer was indeed used by the Moranos, and it is possible that its great significance and wide usage derives from this persecution. As Col Nidre clearly predated the Spanish Inquisition of 1490s, it was supposed that it may have commenced during the Visigoth period in Spain around the 7th century. But again, this theory has serious weaknesses such as its adoption by Jewish communities around the world, even in liturgical communities that did not experience such persecution. The Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism offers a very different reason for the Kol Nidre. It suggests that God has already threatened and vowed terrible punishments upon the Jewish people for their sins. But by our own demonstration that we can unbind ourselves from vows using the Kol Nidre, we hope to persuade God to similarly annul his own vows of calamity, as it states in a Kabbalistic high holiday prayer book. According to the Holy Zohar, the book of mysticism, Kol Nidre is recited on Yom Kippur because at times the heavenly judgment is handed down as an avowed decree for which there can be no normally no annulment. By reciting the Kol Nidre annulment of vows at this time, we are asking God that he favor us by annulling any negative decrees of judgment that await us even though we are undeserving of such. I want to say one more thing about Kol Nidre. Something about the melody, which is, of course, what keeps people coming back to it. It combines a syllabic chanting, one note per syllable, with melissimatic passages in which one syllable may be extended over several notes. Many of the musical phrases in Kol Nidre are related or at least reminiscent to other themes that are used throughout the holy day period. Observers say that the Mi Sinai melodies are majestic and lofty and therefore appropriate to the liturgical themes of the day. In fact, the extensive use of melissima throughout the high holy days marks the period and its music and makes it quite distinctive from Shabbat and other festivals. Given the importance of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the emotional baggage that most people carry as they contemplate, as the prayer Unatana Toka says, who shall live and who shall die, this music adds a degree of theological weight to the service. And so the prayers and the melody join together. The Kol Nidre is recited almost exclusively within um, the Ashkenazic, the European Jewish community. And one last note. Al Jolson sang it in The Jazz Singer, the first talking moving. Neil Diamond sang it in a 1984 remake. And the Kol Nidre theme is now part of pop music as well. Perry Como recorded the Kol Nidre with Johnny Mathis in a 1956 album entitled, I Believe. A 1968 rock band called Electric Prunes produced a composition entitled Release of an Oath, subtitled, The Kol Nidre, The Prayer of Antiquity. Perhaps the most outlandish performance of Kol Nidre is the Jamaican... Uh, performance um, by a Caribbean band with a sitar, a tabla, an ode, a dumbek, and other exotic instruments. And there is, of course, an instrumental by Ernest Bloch in his service entitled Avodat HaKodesh, um, in which a um, cello and piano. So as Jews have gathered throughout the world on of Yom Kippur, the Kol Nidring, they will listen to that chant, they will prepare themselves to fast to that chant, and they will know that they are in God's presence. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you a good day and Shalom. Israel, Israel.